lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todders and Aaron McIntyre are here with me as well. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you're listening today via the podcast, thank you for carving out some time out of your schedule to find us at your convenience. We appreciate you too. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, We'd appreciate you even more. Thousands of you have done this for us already. We're thankful to each and every one of you because the more of those we get, the more likely we are to find people like you, and then the more likely we are to keep talking to you people. So we like that. Uh, We have a lot going on today. Three non-political questions coming up uh, later in the program. Uh, We're going to spend the first hour today looking at the Democratic presidential debate debut last night. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. Um, but we're going we're gonna to do something different for Theology Thursday this week. Don't worry, we're going to finish the series that we started, Five Dumb Things Otherwise Smart People Believe About Faith, Religion, Particularly Christianity. We're going to finish that. We're, we got one more dumb uh, canard uh, to, but I repeat myself, to deconstruct. Uh, we'll do that uh, at a later date. But uh, today, I decided, you know, I was talking last night uh, with uh, a, a, a political friend in contact, uh, after you know, trying to change the subject in my head, just after after the disappointment of Michigan coming oh so close to winning the the baseball cha- national championship last night, and I wanted to change the subject, and it it damn well wasn't going to be tuning into the Democratic debate after that. <laughs> right? There's just only there's just there's just only so much face palming I can take, even in my advancing age. Uh, and so we got to talking about uh, what is going on in their state nationally within the conservative movement, et cetera. And I, I made an observation in this conversation that I, and, and I saw something, uh, another conservative media figure tweeted first thing this morning. And I, I got a little nudge and prompting in the back of the old cranial cavity saying, you know, you should share with your audience what you were talking to your friend in contact about last night. And, it, it, and so we're, we are going to discuss that uh, in Theology Thursday coming up a little bit uh, later on. And, and one of, the, one of the, the, the things that I think we need to confront, just to tease what we're going to discuss next hour, is there has been a massive political paradigm shift in America. And, and you, if you follow political demographics, people have been waiting for the Latino vote demographic apocalypse that still hasn't arrived. I told you yesterday, I mean, there were, there were, in terms of hard numbers, more Latinos who voted in 2016 than 2012. But in terms of their percentage of the turnout, they were actually lower in 2016 than 2012. You know, and so we've been hearing all of our lives because the left is obsessed with identity politics that you know, we're always, it's just always some demographic apocalypse is just right around the corner. There, and there's talk that we're overdue for a political realignment, except we did have one. And it's happened right before our eyes. It just hasn't happened with a traditional demographic. It's happened with corporate America. And they are weaponizing leftist progressive politics. And I think we need to change, even in our own theology, the way we think culturally. And we're going to discuss that in the third hour. Or I'm sorry, in the second hour. But that's also... Somebody got giddy. Wait, there's a third hour of this show? Yeah. Not until they pay me more. All right? I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't do more. 
buckwheat isn't working penub. All right, we're not doing more work for the same amount of money. No, but um, this is why we partner with folks like Patriot Mobile. Many of you are frustrated. Uh, you feel powerless watching the news and politics uh, going on in the country. Most of the media is left wing. You see conservatives being silenced online. That's the weaponizing of corporate America that we're talking about. Big corporations subsidizing left-wing causes. So other than voting, what can you do? Well, you, you can start by doing business with companies that share the same values that you do. And that's why you should consider making the switch to Patriot Mobile. In 2013, a group of conservatives got fed up with all the same things you're fed up by. Uh, and uh, they created Patriot Mobile. Since 2015, they've quietly raised over $2 million out of their profits for conservative causes that you believe in and need your support. So you can get the same nationwide service with a portion of your bill this time, though, going to support the causes you believe in. And with unlimited plans starting as low as $25 a month, you can save money and help save the country that you care about from the left at the exact same time. Right now, Patriot Mobile is offering a free month of service on all new lines. That's a free month of service on all new lines. Switching is easy. As a matter of, matter of fact, Mercury Real Estate, Glenn's family, all recently just made the switch. The Glenn Beck family did. So go to PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze and use the promo code Blaze for a free month of service on all new lines. PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away? Brought to you by Mucho Complicante Descarado and Free Stuff. Uh, I don't believe only in reproductive uh, freedom. I believe in reproductive justice. And, you know, what that means is that just because a woman, or let's also not forget someone in the trans community, a trans female, uh, is poor, doesn't mean they shouldn't have exercise that right to choose. Necesitamos incluir cada persona en el éxito de esta economía. Who here would abolish their private health insurance in favor of a government-run plan? Just a show of hands, start off with. La situación ahora es inaceptable. Este presidente ha atacado, ha demandado los inmigrantes. Es inaceptable y voy a cambiar este. This is supposed to be the party of working people. Yes, we're supposed to be for 70% tax rate on the wealthy. Yes, we're supposed to be for free college, free public college for our young people. We're supposed to break up big corporations when they're not serving our democracy. But this comes at a time when 71% of Americans say the economy is doing well, including 60% of Democrats. What do you say to those who worry this kind of significant change could be risky to the economy? So I think of it this way. Who is this economy really working for? It's doing great for a thinner and thinner slice at the top. It's doing great for giant drug companies. It's just not doing great for people who are trying to get a prescription filled. Vamos a tratar cada persona con el respeto y dignidad que merecen como humanos. Uh, look, I run the largest police force in America, too, and if we're going to stop these shootings, we're going to get these guns off the street, we have to have a very different relationship between our police and our community. I also want to say there's something that sets me apart from all my colleagues running in this race, and that is for the last 21 years, I've been raising a black son in America. Uh, me llamo Julian Castro. 
y estoy postulando por presidente de los Estados Unidos. And I have had to have very, very serious talks with my son Dante about how to protect himself on the streets of our city and all over this country, including how to deal with the fact that he has to take special caution because there have been too many tragedies between our young men and our police, too. Cada votar, ca cada votante, necesitamos. Some, like Congressman O'Rourke, have not. And I want to challenge all of the candidates exactly. to do that. I, I just think it's a mistake, Bethel. I think it's a mistake. And I think that, that if you truly want to change the system, then we got to repeal that section. If not, Thank you. then it so might as well be the same policy. policy. Let me, very let me respond to this very briefly. Since Actually, as a member of Congress, I helped to introduce legislation that would ensure that we don't criminalize those who are seeking asylum and refuge I'm in this country. If you're about, fleeing, if you're fleeing desperation, then I'm I want to make about, sure I'm I want to make sure that you're treated else. with respect. I'm still talking about everybody but, else. But you're looking at just one small part of this. I'm talking about a comprehensive rewrite of our immigration that's laws. Not true. And if we do that, I don't that's think not, it's asking that's too much not for true. people I'm to follow about, our laws when they come to this country. So yes, I'm with Bernie on Medicare for All, and let me tell you why. I spent a big chunk of my life studying why families go broke. And one of the number one reasons is the cost of health care, medical bills. And that's not just for people who don't have insurance, it's for people who have insurance. Oh, Congresista O'Rourke, ¿qué haría usted en el primer día, si usted es presidente, sobre esta realidad que está ocurriendo? What would you do, Congressman, day one? at the White House. Look at the business model of an insurance company. It's to bring in as many dollars as they can in premiums and to pay out as few dollars as possible for your health care. That leaves families with rising premiums, rising co-pays, and fighting with insurance companies to try to get the health care that their doctors say that they and their children need. Medicare for All solves that problem. Take the fresh breath of the spirit. We could talk about climate, we could talk about guns, we could talk about all of these issues that we all care about. We have a perception problem with the Democratic Party. We are not connecting to the working class people in the very states that I represent in Ohio, in the industrial Midwest. We've lost all connection. That we have got to change the center of gravity of the Democratic Party from being coastal and elital, elitist and Ivy League, which is the perception, to somebody from the forgotten communities that have been left behind for the last 30 years, to get those workers back on our side so we can say we're going to build electric vehicles, we're going to build solar panels. But if you want to beat Mitch McConnell, this better be a working class party if you want to go into Kentucky and take his rear end out. You may not understand this. I don't either. Uh, let me go over to Lester Holt, who's got a question, I believe, a viewer question. I'm over here, Chuck. Where thanks. Here? We right. ask uh, voters from across the country to submit their questions to the candidates. Let me read one now. MSNBC discussed who they thought won the debate. Donnie, you're in, you're in a safe space here. You, you don't have to keep telling us nothing. Well, let's, let's just, can right. I just follow up on that, though, Donnie? Yeah. Who, 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 who could beat Trump? And did you see anyone on that stage tonight that could beat Trump? Um, I'm still sticking with an idealized version of, of <laughs> no, of Joe, the Joe Biden we want, okay? If Joe Biden we want, and then you pair him with the right candidate, yes. Um, I still, in my heart of hearts, don't see anybody on that stage tonight that would beat Trump. Let's just uh, identify this for what it is. And then we have Beto's. Pure guesswork a year and a half away mm -hmm. from Absolutely. the guess point. Uh, and so it has 
and Donnie, I say this respectfully, zero value. As I disagree. Would, you know what? I disagree with that, Lawrence. It's understanding human behavior. Don't tell me it has zero value. Don't tell me it has zero value. It's understanding human behavior. It's a guess. It's, it's a wild it's, guess, Donnie. It's not. It's a, it's understanding human behavior, and no, I guarantee you, no, no, ninety no. percent of our audience agrees. It's a wild guess. There's no science in it. There's nothing in it. There's no science in any of this. And no one can make. You can put any name you want in the wild guess that you just made, and it doesn't make it true. I am understanding what Donald Trump, the way he connects with this country and the strength he exudes. We need to exude a stronger strength. It's this not is, a This is the discussion. pure guesswork section of the discussion. This is a guy who's done this for 30 years and watched human behavior. Now then. And that's what happened while we were away. Oh, boy. So Aaron's montage has never been more appropriately sponsored by WaxRx. Uh, do you have itchy ears, ear pain? Well, you do now. Uh, that plugged up feeling? You wish you just did. Uh, are you constantly asking people to repeat themselves? If those problems sound familiar to you, it could be like millions of Americans forced to go to the doctor for a professional ear cleaning this year. You know, that one you've been putting off because you don't want to waste a couple of hours on your day off doing it. You don't want to waste a weekend doing it. You can't do it on a weekday. What if you could do this all in the comfort and convenience of your own home and without a prescription as well. You can via WaxRx, a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH-conditioned formula just like the pros do when they're done. Uh, if you want to check this out, risk-free today, just go to the website, usewaxrx.com. That's usewaxrx.com and use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping at usewaxrx.com. All right, so I want us to have a, a, a substantive conversation Nice try. As much <laughs> as as much as we possibly can. Because although I I I I don't know what would possess somebody to watch that and say that's that's the next president of the United States right there. I I don't. I really I don't. Yeah, that's a there's a level of, of there's a worldview chasm. There's a there's a spiritual chasm between the way I think and that that I can't. I mean I I, I mean I, I can understand why somebody watches Donald Trump on any given day basis and decides I don't want that guy as my president. I can understand that. I cannot understand though when when looking at alternatives, why someone would say affirmatively. I'm not saying I don't understand why somebody wouldn't vote anybody but Trump. I get that. You know, most people in the in the what's left of America have been voting anybody but for most of their lives and not affirmatively affirmatively for Republicans for president. I totally get that. Okay, I'm not I'm not saying I don't get that. What I don't get is the worldview spiritual chasm between me and the person that is affirmatively cheering when when Mayor Castro says he's for abortions, that men should have access to abortions. I, I don't, I, I can't understand that. I, I don't get it, you know? And did you hear the lack of applause for former NFL star Tim Ryan there trying to inject any, any modicum of sanity into the proceedings? He was talking to himself. Now, maybe there were people at home that liked it. I don't know, but not, certainly not in the crowd. So I, I can't, I want us to avoid as best we can creating straw men and constructs because there, there is going to be 70 million people probably close to that 
that's going to vote for one of those people on the stage last night or one of the people on the stage tonight to be the next leader of the free world. Arguably the second most powerful country in the free world, the UK, is either going to be uh, governed by a complete and total nitwit space cadet named Boris or an open, and I mean like Ilan Omar level anti-Semite and Jeremy Corbyn. Okay, so, I mean, uh, almost 70 million people are voting for one of those people from last night or tonight. So I want us as best we can to try to take them seriously. Take your enemy seriously. Especially when they are the ones that have preemptively declared you their enemy. Shows they're taking you very seriously. And, and I want us to do the analysis that we're going to do the rest of this hour. Everybody else, there's funny, you know, we've got a good sense of humor on this show. There are people that are funnier than us, though. They've, and, and Lord knows they were given a treasure trove of content. So we're, so we're going to leave the, the parodying, although some of it's almost unavoidable when analyzing some of the themes you just saw. But we're going to leave, we're not going to try to Babylon be this thing. We're going to leave that to people who can do better than us. We, though, can provide an angle that maybe no one else and like literally no one else anywhere in the national media can, either in the left America or what's left of America. Because ultimately, here's all that matters. And, and when I say all that matters, it is what it's all that matters. Because when you have California, the all-powerful Democratic state, moving its primary to Super Tuesday in early March, this thing's going to be pretty much over right around then. Or at the very least, you're going to know who the last two candidates are at the very least. And that's going to put even more of an emphasis on these early states. If you don't establish your foothold right out of the gate, the idea that you're going to come from behind and in a state as expensive as California just ain't happening. You've got to leave Iowa in the first tier of candidates. If you don't, you don't have to win it. But if you don't walk out of here in the top three, maybe top four, you are dead man or woman walking or non-binary gendered person walking. That's the reality. The moving of its big states to earlier in the calendar means you better perform better in those earlier states because you're going to lose coverage, you're going to lose donors, you're going to lose zeal, and you won't have captured the people's imagination. So we're going to analyze this on one simple premise. Did this move any numbers in Iowa? Because if you didn't move any numbers in Iowa... While this is a click-servative wet dream that we watched last night, if you didn't move any numbers in Iowa, it really, beyond providing content for us to troll and, and clickbait off of as a launching pad, as a portal for counter-conservative content, short of that, it, it's, it's, these are, it's an irrelevant exercise. So these are the numbers from the Real Clear Politics polling average heading into last night. And what you saw in Iowa is Joe Biden had, according to the RCP average, a 6.7 point advantage. And almost all of that is going to be name ID. You saw Bernie Sanders at 18, Pete Buttigieg at 12. Those three all go on the stage together tonight. Elizabeth Warren next at 10 to the bane of Bernie Sanders, I'm sure. Uh, And then you see the rest of the candidates there uh, in single digits. So we start with this point. 
Because even though we aren't leftists, we're Iowans. And although Iowa leftists respond to different talking points than the people that um, you know vote in the Republican caucuses we're used to in participating in and, and organizing and engaging, Iowans, with the exception of certain fringes, are largely the same as people in terms of their temperament, um, you know, uh, how they react and respond to other people. They, re- they, they may respond different on policy, but this is going to be a highly personable process. It's a caucus. So can I, when, uh, can I connect with you when hand meets hand? When we meet, he- when we meet head on at, you know, um, uh, the machine shed, either up the street here in Urbandale or on the other side of the uh, state over there in the Amana colonies. That's really where Iowa caucuses are won. You can get people's attention in these debate performances, but that's where you have to close the sale is that hand-to-hand retail style of politicking. So, gentlemen, let's start there. Do you think anything occurred last night that, that either enforced, reinforced, or, or altered the trajectory in Iowa? Todd, I'll start with you. Well, I, I nothing gravitational happened, you know, like uh, you know Thanos pulling a moon down to change things. Uh, but but I, I I think it doesn't have to be that large. We 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 need to look at who now as when when they perhaps nobody is now maybe a somebody. Uh, and again, we have to think, I've said this before about all kinds of issues, the crazy thing in the back of your head that you never would have listened to four, five, six, you got to start listening to it as just possible. I've told you about that. That's why I think what I think about, uh, Buttigieg, we won't hear about him until uh, later tonight, but I, I do think that, uh, we heard from Tulsi Gabbard, I think is going to be now part of the conversation, um, in a new way. I don't know for how long, but I, I think on- why. On that stage, because she's a woman, who what sets her apart from the the, other, the several other women that are running? Do you think? Well, I, I think the fact that she is she's that even though Donnie Deutsch was not moved by the packaging, other people are thinking the same things as Donnie Deutsch. Uh, we can't beat Donald Trump with this version of crazy, this version of crazy, no matter how much the clapping seals are out there and yay, a man can now get an abortion. I, I think some people will see that. We'll at least give a, uh, a gal like uh, Tulsi Gabbard a try. Uh, she, she does. She, she comes across as sober, reasonable, likable. There's, there's a lot of those things going on. I, in my estimation, I, I, I said one of the people, I said this yesterday, that one of the people that could lose the most and we won't quite know until tomorrow is elizabeth warren uh i i know it should be noted the progressive blogosphere is proclaiming her the big winner last night okay but i can also tell you that just as i used to say the amount of people who will go to the vote in the iowa caucuses based on an endorsement from national review is un paquito the amount of people that will go to vote in the Iowa caucuses based on the other side, based on an endorsement from the Young Turks, is un piquito, okay? But that doesn't mean they're wrong. I'm just saying, though, the conservative or the, the, the progressive blogosphere, the leftist blogosphere, she's the big winner, according to, according to their analysis from last night. Doesn't mean if I'm a rural Iowan pissed off about tariffs 
that, that is in one of the 33 counties that voted for Obama twice and flipped to Trump in 2016. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean she resonated with me, but, but on a national level, the, the progressive audience loved her performance last night. Well, and I, I, I do think she won to the extent that she did not flame out in the way I thought people would try to make her flame. Uh, she did not, she, there was not the, the awkward beer moment uh people sh- uh, I, I i don't know based on the highlights necessarily if anybody did try and failed but we we aren't seeing the fact that she she was basically made a joke again that's a win for her on that stage aaron i want to get you in here before i respond to todd did, did anything happen on there last night that you think cements uh, or alters the current standing of, of where things are with Democrats in Iowa. Everybody but Elizabeth Warren was a loser uh, last night. I don't think there's any doubt about that because of the way the debate was structured, especially early on. Uh, Hollywood Reporter reported earlier th- today that on NBC, the broadcast, the network alone, terrestrial broadcast alone, 10 million people uh, tuned in, which is a good number uh, for a, what a Wednesday night. But it's it did not, start till um, 9 o'clock Eastern? Yeah, and it, it's not a monster number as well, uh, at all. The way it was structured, though, it allowed her to get, I don't know, three or four answers in in the first 20 minutes, which really allowed the tone of the debate to be set by her, mm-hmm. really. And it made her look like she was the one in command of the room. And when she actually is, I mean, you don't, I don't agree with any of her ideas. I don't think anybody here does. Um, it really allows her to present her ideas. She's one of the few with policies, not just kvetching about Donald Trump, not just kvetching about uh, fill-in-the-blank social issue. It, she actually does have some ideas and some policy that she puts forward. And so I really think that allowed her to look like the adult in the room early on. Now, you just mentioned the time that it started, 9 p.m. Eastern time. As the debate warriors on, do you think more or less people start to tune in? Especially oh, with less. I agree, I agree, yeah. I agree, kill babies, yeah. I agree, I agree, I agree, climate change. Yes. That allowed her, I think, a huge advantage, and she should be thanking NBC and MSNBC, the family of networks there, for that. Because it really allowed her, early on in the debate, to, to make it look like she was the adult in the room, the one in charge. So I really think the only one that this could have impact for is her. The rest are losers, because... Probably nobody watched them because they didn't get a whole lot of time. And it was later in the debate when they actually started getting more time anyway. So I did not watch it in real time last night. I have watched uh, the majority of it via clips over the last uh, 12 hours. And I have followed a lot of the analysis. And I agree wholeheartedly with you, Aaron, that allowing her to kick off this debate, um, it avoided the the and allowing her to dominate it and to set the tone early. This was the debate. You know, there's, there's two Iowa caucus voters. And the, there's, there's the, I go to Grinnell college. I go to the university of Iowa. Um, you know, I write for, um, you know, uh, city view, which is our city's version of the, alternate publication that every city has that you pick up for free because your your you know democratic party uh local metro newspaper apparently is just not marxist enough every city has one of those that's ours there's there's the there's the the caucus in, to win that camp and then there's the caucus to what do we have to do to beat donald trump and win back those 33 counties that we lost from 20 uh, 12 and 20 in 2008 camp. Okay. Yeah. Those are, so there's two caucuses happening simultaneously. And I think, I think what, what that allowed Elizabeth Warren to do last night 
really is going to raise the bar for Bernie Sanders tonight. Bernie Sanders, I think, has a very difficult job right now. And on, on one hand, he has to, he's got, he's got to create an environment where, you know, you can be the last one standing with Joe Biden. But if you're sitting at 15, 18% and he's sitting at 45, you're not closing the gap. You're not. I mean, even if the entire progressive base, the majority of the, what's left of the progressive base coalesces behind you when you're their last option against the, their version of a party establishment, he has, there's, he's got so left few people that he's got to pick off the rest of the way to get to 50.1%. So on one hand, some environment needs to be fomented. And Bernie would love it if the Kamala Harris's and Pete Buttigieg's of the world did his dirty work for him. But someone's got to, at least, you know, Joe Biden can't be secretariat right now. And in the Iowa polling, he's not. But you gotta, you've got to have, you got to, at some level, you have to make sure Joe Biden doesn't walk out of here unscathed. Well, at the same time, Elizabeth Warren was just provided, a, what was that, two hours last night? Or was it 90 minutes? Two hours. Two hours. They was provided two hours of a commercial, in, of, a, of an infomercial for, for her policy wonking. Was that the plan, overtly? And, and it wouldn't shock me if, if it was. Wouldn't shock me if it was the plan. Because they, they don't want Sanders as their nominee. They don't want an old white guy, particularly one who's just openly honest about being a socialist. I mean, Sanders is, or Elizabeth is claiming to be a capitalist while you know, pilfering all of Bernie's ideas. We'll talk more about this here when we come back in a moment. Stay tuned. Real estate agents, I trust.com was started because uh, buying and selling at home can be one of the most stressful things you'll ever attempt to do. Um, especially if you have an agent that has no sense of urgency, no return phone calls, no real marketing other than let's just do another open house. All right. Real estate agents I trust knows there has to be a better way. And you're looking for three key things when vetting an agent, someone with a proven track record of successfully navigating the real estate market, uh, someone that understands the data and the algorithms, but also looks for outliers. For example, um, there's a new real estate uh, agency in your neighborhood and they're trying to establish a foothold. Are they pricing a home? Maybe a little bit uh, lower than market value. Uh, is that, I mean, those are the things your agent needs to be doing their homework on. And then thirdly, again, that, that personal connection. If you don't have a rapport with this person, the odds you'll be successful go down all the more. All right. So if you're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust, just go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. It's one big long word, realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, so we're analyzing last night's first Democratic primary presidential debate. And we're analyzing it through the filter of, does this move the needle in Iowa or reinforce the direction the needle is already pointed? And so I, I, I think we all have, to some degree, believe Elizabeth Warren um, helped herself yes. last night. And, and I think right now, if, if you're in that, if you're in Johnson or Lynn County, Iowa, where you're going to find those University of Iowa faculty members and voters and activists, right? If you're in those counties, if you're in Grinnell, Iowa, in those parts of the state, if you are living, um, you know, uh, in the East Village of Des Moines, and, and again, these are areas that are prime uh, for Democrat activist turnout in an Iowa caucus. 
then then you you came away i think really excited by what she had to say last night and and the reason she had a chance to say it is because this was largely and you know we joked that we thought it would you know every debate would just be orange man bad all night long but this was largely their version of a policy summit i mean you you really saw what the american left in the democratic party really and truly thinks about public policy and yes there's pandering in there and there's plenty of pandering in republican primary debates as well like bill de bill de blasio with his uh, version of steve martin's opening line from the jerk i you know i've got a i've i've got my own black son as opposed to i was born a poor black, a poor black child okay so you, you, there's gonna get you're gonna have that you know um cory booker awkwardly trying to establish his foothold of, of exactly where am i at in this debate okay um yeah, essentially looking at Bill de Blasio like, hey, you're raising a black kid. I was one. Um, whatever the hell that was with Beto O'Rourke last night. And I think he his people, you know, before we went on the air today, Ben Shapiro tweeted out, is Beto O'Rourke the Jeb Bush of 2016? Oh, I think he's the Scott Walker. And, you know, the Scott Walker campaign thought that they were going to be the one candidate that could bridge the divide between who can win a national election, mm-hmm. uh, which in electability in the Republican Party is often a cover for who doesn't really believe anything. In the Democratic Party, when they talk about electability, they really believe it. But, but they kind of believe it in the way that the Quran allows a Muslim to lie to you in order to advance Islam. So when they talk about electability in the Democratic Party, what that, what that translates has who's relatable enough so that we can avoid having to actually talk about issues. And then when we take office, we can just be as, as red as we want to be. That's what it means in the Democratic Party. In the Republican Party, electability means the opposite. Who really doesn't believe anything. So they can just take whatever position needs to be taken at the time. And then, you know, they can flip-flop however they want when they get elected. So both parties' establishments have a huge, um, have a huge reliance and place a, a, a large priority on electability. The term just means totally different things in both parties. You guys okay with that? Yeah. All right. So there's the, okay, who will lie to middle America good enough caucus going on? And then there's the, hey, who wants to, you know, win the, um, you know, win the argument with history caucus? And I think Elizabeth Warren helped herself. Something I wrote about in, at foxnews.com when sizing up the Democratic field a few months ago is that one of the more underreported stories that's happened in the Democratic presidential primary is, is she has done an effective job of rating some of Bernie Sanders' organization in our state. She's taken some of that away. So if you're Bernie Sanders, you've got two problems tonight. You, you, you can't just sit back and, and if, if Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg and others can't lay a, a glove on Joe Biden, you can't let him walk out of there untouched because even if you do emerge as the final person with joe biden you can't be where he's got a 45 to 12 lead over you you can't do that or 48 to 19 you can't do that and we're kind of trending along those into that direction as things stand right now so if you're the perfect night for bernie sanders is the young turks pardon the pun that are running decide that it's time to point out joe biden's not woke enough and go after Uncle Joe so that Bernie Sanders can be off on the side and do what Elizabeth Warren got to do last night. Where he, what Bernie Sanders wants tonight is, it, is everybody gangs up on Uncle Joe. 
while he is off over here talking about issues. Because right now, Elizabeth Warren is is carving serious room into his base. Because she's not a guy. She's not a straight white male, number one. And number she didn't take a, a, you know, a, a honeymoon in Moscow as the Soviet Union was falling apart, number two. She's willing to claim she's a capitalist while advocating all forms of anti-capitalist policy. So she's playing the game better than he is right now. But he's never really been a game player. I mean, he's a socialist ideologue. You know, he's Trotsky. So I think she absolutely took a big step last night in winning the progressive caucus in the Iowa caucus. And I think that's bad news for Bernie Sanders. And I think it raises the stakes for him tonight. You guys' thoughts on that? Well, I agree. But I want to go back to what you said. And I was going to bring that up anyways. I have a question for you about uh, the fact that at least for one night only, they did what we've been saying they won't do. They ran on policy, who they really are, instead mm-hmm. of against Trump. Because we said, and, and like almost everything they said would be disastrous yes. in a general election. Now, do you know what Trump would do if Elizabeth Warren on a national stage said, "I'm going to take the health coverage away from 180 okay. million Americans"? But it's not that stage yet. So my question I agree. A is, I agree. How and why, both from the perspective of the politicians and the moderators, how and why did that happen last night? In your estimation, the focus was there. I think it's what Aaron and, said, and. And two, what do you think in terms of tonight they learn from that? Will they try to stick with that to the extent that they can, or will they go for it? Because they actually did a, a yep. word count. Trump was only mentioned in two hours by mm-hmm. how many? 10, 12? Yeah. Like 20 it was fewer than times. 20. It, was, it was 20 See, or fewer times, yeah. I believe. So yeah. how do you think it, it, it is past prologue for tonight? Yes and no. Um, I, I think that... Um, I think clearly the the left American media has been elevating. You know, they had their fun with Pete Buttigieg. They let him troll the Franklin Grahams of the world, okay? Um, but now you see him running into problems with Antifa and all those people. So, you know, they, they, he had his moment for them. He did his job. I, since Pete, the Pete Buttigieg troll the Christians moment, if you've been monitoring left America, what they have been trying to do is elevate her as the means by which to remove Bernie Sanders as a serious threat to win this nomination. And I, and I think absolutely that, that, that is what precedent was set, what temperament was set at the beginning last night. And if you go back, you, and, and media does this, go back to the very first GOP presidential primary debate. Roger Ailes, who was still running Fox at the time, they clearly thought Donald Trump could not win. And he was just beginning to surge as a candidate. And so they, they brought Chris Wallace and Megyn Kelly in, their attack dogs, and said, get shorty. And that, from the very opening salvo of them trying to deconstruct Trump, created a very combative environment, which, which further shrunk Jeb Bush's presence in the room, because it was obvious that he just can't do politics on that level. And it kind of set the tone for the rest of the debates. If you wanted to take Trump on, then you needed, in a way, to be able to show that you could take a punch or two. You know, I knew we won the Iowa caucuses in the Cruz campaign. It was closer than I thought it was going to be. But I knew we won in the second-to-last debate when when Cruz pulled Trump's pants down live on the stage on the natural-born citizenship question and turned it around on him and pointed out, hey, your own mom was born in Scotland, so you're not a natural-born citizen by your own definition. And I knew that we... And, and, and that was further reinforced when Trump decided, found an excuse not to come to the last debate because bullies don't like getting punched back. And he had been punched back, you know? So... 
Um, last night kind of set the tone for uh, to set up Elizabeth Warren. I think tonight, if the other campaigns are smart, having watched that, as you said, with the benefit of hindsight, they're going to have to be more aggressive in taking control from of the debate away from the moderators. Because they have to know if Joe Biden doesn't walk out of here with a lip, they're all in a lot of trouble right now. They, they have to, you know, because you can, you can put all the stuff on Twitter you want about um, the segregationist Joe Biden used to roll with. And even though Twitter's not America, it represents more of the left America than it does the America we're a part of. But it still is a sliver of the left America. If you go asked, if, if we just, just drove to Pottawatomie County in Iowa, you know, a part of the state that is, is in the Republican part of the state, but, got, but the, most, the most effective liberal politician maybe in recent Iowa history, um, you know, Mike Gronstall, the former Senate leader, is from that part of the state. If we just drove out there to Mike Gron, let's just say we went to Mike Gronstall's old legislative district and we asked them, hey, what do you think of Joe Biden uh, being friends with segregationists back in the day? Or what do you think of Joe Biden's comments on busing? What do you think responses do you think we'd get? I, I don't know anymore. Did, I don't think they'd have a freaking clue what we're talking about. I don't. I don't. And that's evidenced by his polling numbers. That's why he's in front. They wouldn't know. Because if they knew, what would his numbers be? Wouldn't be a six-point lead in the real clear politics polling average in Iowa. And so those other campaigns have to realize that you need to say that. You can't, you can, and, 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 and 7,000 retweets and 180,000 likes on Twitter is nothing compared to the power of saying it with 10 to 20 million people watching live. And then all the, the, the shares and the viral moments that go on beyond that. They have to recognize that they cannot allow Uncle Joe to, he can't emerge as Uncle Joe tonight. Because you can see from watching the Donny Deutsch clip, all the articles are written. Like, let's face it. Was anybody, even people re-respect, was anybody, no matter what happened last night, and no matter what happens tonight, do you believe there is anybody writing an article that says, I think Trump's re-elect problems are really in trouble? Is anybody doing that? No. Nobody's doing that on our side. And everybody, all the articles about they're nuts, they're crazy, were all pre-written. It's true, likely, but they were all pre-loaded. Similar to no college football coach gets up the day on National Signing Day and says, this is the recruiting class is getting my ass canned in a couple of years. Nobody does that. Yet, there's 20 or 30 coaches that get fired every year. So somebody's recruiting class is getting their ass canned, but nobody just admits it. Like, I'm reading stories about, hey, uh, so-and-so quarterback really believes in his team's fortunes this fall. Do you think he'd talk to you if he thought, guys, we're just not ready for the season. We're going to totally suck. No one does this. So all those narratives don't matter. The, the preloaded narrative that they want is MSNBC is no matter, no, desperately wants Donnie Deutsch back on their panel tonight after the debate to say, I found him. Uncle Joe's back. That's, that is the story they all want to write. It's the story they want to write. If you're Kamala Harris, if you're Pete Buttigieg, if you're Bernie Sanders, if you're everybody else on that stage, you cannot let them write that story. You can't. That's a devastating story for you. So that to me is what the benefit of hindsight is. You cannot allow this to become a long-winded, um, you know, well, what's the, what, what do the folks at the Brookings Institution think about our answers tonight? 
You can't do that tonight. Uncle Joe's got to walk out with a black eye tonight. The only person, the only person who's, I think, really going to be able to do that effectively is Kamala Harris. We'll see. But and and they're going to have to do it. I don't believe the moderators are going to let them do it. I think that tone was set last night because they didn't just invite them to go after Trump on every single turn. So I don't think you're going to get a bunch of wokey questions about, hey, let's go after. I don't think this is the, the moderators are not going to just set them up to go after Trump I don't, or to go after Biden. I don't believe because if they were if we were going to do that, we'd have done this last night with Trump, who's a far you know, more convenient target for them. Right. Than somebody wearing their own uniform, who is Barack Obama's former vice president. So tonight, if you're one of those other candidates on the stage, you've got to really decide, am I in this to win it? Because there's a moment where every campaign starts questioning and its staff will make the question, you know, I got to get a job when you when you flame out. And, you know, there's, and I'll give you an example, 2020, the 2012 Republican presidential primary. And it's down to Mitt Romney and Rick Santorum. And Mitt Romney goes or Rick Santorum goes to the Euro primary in Wisconsin. And he says, if you vote for Mitt Romney, he can't win. He can't beat Barack Obama in a general election. He came up with Barack Obama's worst idea before he had it. Do you remember this? Yeah. And I, I came on the air the night, that day and I, that night because I was on the air in the evenings for Salem at the time. And I came out and I said, finally, Rick Santorum has stumbled upon a message that, that could defeat Romney in a national debate. But I'm going to warn you, if your own staff doesn't think you can win, they're going to start undercutting that message because they need to get jobs from Mitt Romney once he becomes the nominee. Sure enough, within 12 hours, Rick Santorum took it back. He was done in two, three days after that, like out of the race. And so if you've got to decide and your staff needs to really be in on, they think you can win. And you got to decide it right now because you cannot allow Joe Biden to walk out of here without any scratches. And, and your, Twitter oppo, your Twitter oppo dumps don't help him, but they don't injure him either. You know, you, you've, he's got, you got to hurt him. He's got to walk out of here with a limp tonight. And that's, your, that's got to be your number one goal. And if it's just strictly a policy conversation, you're not going to lay a scratch on him. You got to turn, you got to, you got to turn the tables on him. You got to take your Twitter oppo research that they've been dumping on him for the last two weeks and you got to drop it right to on his lap in his face with 20 million people watching tonight. Does that answer your question? Generally, it does specifically off the top of your head. If you had to be the one to advise how to do that with a particular issue, a particular thing, how, what would you do? I think because of who the Democratic Party is and how it, it mobilizes its people, the longer the talk is identity politics and the less it's about policy, anybody else but Joe Biden wins tonight, no matter what the answers are. Because Joe Biden doesn't need to win. He just needs to get out of here alive, okay? The longer this is about identity and victimology and the less it's about policy, the worse it is for Joe Biden, even if his answers are good. You know, we've talked in the past that even when Marco Rubio gave good answers on immigration, I used to always advise the Cruz campaign, just we want him talking immigration. Because whenever the debate's on immigration, we win. No matter how good his answers are, no one gets over the gang of eight, we win. Similarly, we want Joe Biden talking identity politics. Because he never, it, it never changes the fact that the guy looking into you in the camera saying these things is, a, is an old white male. You want that. So you need somebody, I would agree with Aaron, Kamala Harris would be an ideal person as a black female in their party, somebody to hijack this conversation 
and turn this into the woke Olympics. Yep. That's what you need. You basically the woke needs to be the theme, and and the feeling that they people need to have is that Joe Biden has been our token all along. Yes, that we've used you, Joe. Yes, yeah, but you have to understand MSNBC. Yeah, even though they put crazy train shows on in the end, they want to win. So they're not just going to give you open season to draw blood on Joe Biden. Maybe once you'll get, maybe they'll throw yeah. one or two questions, but they won't give you two hours of it. You're going to have to hijack the conversation and you got to do it early because you want to set that tone. Even if you produce a viral moment an hour and a half into this, you've allowed him an hour and a half to get away. You, so similar so, to how last night's tone was set that Elizabeth Warren's going to get to wax poetic. You want to set the tone right away, Joe Biden. So, ding, ding, you got, it's on. You got to go, your boy, the now Cleveland Browns quarterback. Uh, what's his name? Former Baker, Baker, Baker Bayfield. You got to yeah. go plant your flag in the middle of the field. That's what you need to do tonight. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. You have any final thoughts before we get out of here, Aaron? No, I was just going to repeat uh, what you said about Kamala Harris for the reasons that you did. Um, you know, a black female um, that would be ideal for taking on Joe Biden. I will come back. A break from politics with three non-political questions next right here, live and on demand on The Blaze. Stay tuned. And we're back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber, we're going to be hooking up uh, with our old friend Kurt Schilling for the overtime after the show today, the post-show show. And we're going to talk about the price the NBA is paying for getting overtly political. It, it Apparently, it wasn't paying attention when the NFL kind of came up to the line a couple of years ago. And the NBA is just like, what's a line? Uh, so we're going to talk about that with our old friend, future Hall of Famer, Kurt Schilling in the overtime today for our Blaze TV subscribers. If you want to be a subscriber so you can watch that and all of our other exclusive content, blazetv.com slash dace, D-E-A-C-E, blazetv.com slash dace, and you'll get a reduced yearly subscription using my name as that promo code. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. A recent episode of 60 Minutes had the FBI's former head of cybercrimes on there sounding the alarm because home title fraud is the latest crime wave sweeping the nation, and here's why. Number one, the most valuable investment most Americans will ever own in their lifetimes is their own home. And number two, now that our mortgages and our home titles are kept online, these are now in databases that can be hacked. What happens is the thieves, the scammers, they hack in and then they forge their name onto your home's title, start taking out loans, liquidating uh, your collateral or your equity and using your home as the collateral, your home's equity as the collateral to liquidate it. And then they stick you with the payments and often you don't know until the late payments arrive, maybe the foreclosure notices. Don't let this happen to you, especially when just for pennies a day, our friends at Home Title Lock will make sure it does not. You can find out right now for free has your home's title already been targeted or tampered with? Just go to HomeTitleLock.com and sign up for the free title scan and report at HomeTitleLock.com. Before we get to three non-political questions, something I thought of during the top of the hour, just to put a bow on the conversation we had about the Democratic debate. Even though there's, there's almost a non-existent black vote, even in the Iowa Democratic caucuses in Iowa, we, this is a state that's like 96% white. The other reason somebody like a Kamala Harris needs to make sure uh, he, he cannot, he's got to leave tonight as Senator Biden. He can't leave tonight as Uncle Joe. 
is when when you're forecasting beyond from our state, where you do go to more racially diverse states, the vast majority of Joe Biden's lead in all of these polls is coming from black voters. And a lot of that probably comes from he's getting some, uh, uh, you know, some some secondhand affinity being Barack Obama's vice president. So when if you're looking beyond Iowa. And it, it, you're thinking to yourself, I, I can't let him go into the more diverse states later in the calendar, like, say, South Carolina that have huge black populations. I, I can't let him go in there having this kind of lead amongst black voters. That's the other reason why some wins got to be taken out of Joe Biden's sales. Because here's the thing, you have to do it tonight. You can't drop all this campaign still largely, regardless of the ideology, similar to marketing. You know, you market different products different ways, but, but the, fun, the fundamentals of marketing don't really change. Whether you're marketing, you know, deodorant or you're marketing an electric car. Same thing with campaigns. You, one, one side might be selling, you know, um, constitutional originalism. The other side might be selling Medicare for all. So what you're selling changes, but, but campaigns really, the fundamentals don't all, aren't that much different. So you can't drop all, you, you have to follow up the, 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 the Twitter oppo dump on, on Biden. If you, if you just drop this all in May and June, and then let him walk out of this debate tonight and head into the, because he's going to be doing all kinds of Americana 4th of July stuff as Uncle Joe next week, right? Sure. All, all over Iowa and New Hampshire. All that stuff about him and, and segregationists is all gone. And then if you try to bring it back in, in August, September, and October, now you're getting to the point where people start drawing emotional connections with candidates. And, and, and they're going to be less inclined when they've started to draw an attachment and you've given him another two to three months to shake hands and, and hang out at, uh, you know, New Hampshire, uh, you know, uh, delicatessens and, and Iowa, you know, uh, farm co-ops. They're going to be less inclined to care once they get to know somebody who his friends were in 1977. So if you're going to drop all this stuff now, all right, don't send, don't send a squadron of X-wings and B-wings into the Death Star Trench if you're not really going for the thermal exhaust port. Otherwise, all you did was just waste everybody's time. You need to follow those things up now with deconstructing him on a national stage. You, you can't let him have another month or two where he gets to just be Uncle Joe. You can't do that. You got to hit him now. You okay with what I said? You want anything to do that? No, no, good. All right, let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Because we do need a break from whatever that was last night and talking all things decline and fall of Western civilization. Three non-political questions on the Steve Day Show. Question number one. I have a feeling you're going to have some uh, trouble with this one. If you could pick a month from your life up to this point that you could uh, transform into a good movie, which month would you choose and why? Hmm. If I could transform one month of my life into a good movie, 
and like a month, any month out of the calendar or a month of a year of a specific year? Uh, a month that stands out in your mind from your life up to this point that would translate well into a movie. Okay, so it's not just, you know, we have these Christmas February, traditions we do every yeah, December. Or, no. No, you want December of a certain year. That's what you want. I want a 30-day period sometime in your life up to this point. Did he answer my question? Does he want no. a certain year or I, a, a I answered, tradition? I, I've said it three times now. <laughs> I've literally said it three times. Yes now. or no, do you want a month from a certain year? A specific yeah, amount. Yes, a specific window okay. of time yes. in okay. your life. Um, wow. How about, you know, I'll, I'll go with the event that probably has done more to uh, change my life than anything else. I'd go back to February of 2001, and that's when our firstborn, Anna, was born. I'd, I'd probably go back to that. I mean, I, I, that, you know, well, obviously, if, if, you know, mom and I don't meet, that event never happens. But m m much of, much of the, the Steve Dace you see before you today, like it or not, has its origins in that event. Because that's the event that God, God really forced me to contemplate i don't have all the answers um that there's uh forces of this earth bigger better smarter than me and created the first seeds of humility that ultimately led to me uh you know bowing the knee so i'd go back to that event i i would have a tie i would have uh the month this would be bad uh, Two thousand nine. Now we're probably into, yeah. Uh, whenever my trial took place, uh, which I yeah, I could see that being a good movie, a John Grisham esque yeah, kind of a story. My trial yeah. uh, took place when I worked at the Des Moines Register. Got arrested uh, as a reporter during the two thousand eight uh, floods. Now that's a. It, it's it's not. It would be hard to condense into one month. It took, but uh, it would be either that or what basically did take five weeks, so close to a month. Uh, 1995, right after graduating from college, when I went to professional umpire school, and what that was like. Uh, there's been documentaries about that, but if you turned it into an actual story, because it's not just what you're doing to become an umpire, but what you're doing in your free time and the kind of cultural forces that are pounding into it's the each umpiring other. version of Bull Durham. So, uh, yeah. So one of those. Uh, for me, it would probably be, I think it was 2010 or 2011. Um, the, the kind of month surrounding Christmas and New Year's, uh, it, was, it would be a very sad movie, but uh, I grew a lot in my faith there just because of, you know, uh, well, one, my girlfriend broke at the time, broke up to me, with me and moved to Lithuania um, the following week. So that was that was one wow, thing you, that was you, really sad. You scared her all the way there, huh? I uh, I I was completely alone, <laughs> like completely alone for Christmas that year as well. But you know, it, it was good. It was it was a growing experience, even though it was incredibly depressing. 
uh, for a number of other reasons. Hello, wow. darkness, my old friend. It's true. Well, uh, I mean, you chased a woman all the way to Lithuania. Yeah. There's a little wow. bit more to the story than that, but I like to tell it that way because it's much more interesting than... I mean, the last girl that dumped me before I met Amy moved all the way to Arkansas to get away from me. But yeah. Lithuania? I've never, I've never told you that story. Yeah. Yeah. We were together for a week. I was happy. She was happy. All our friends were happy. All my friends were happy for us. A week later, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm moving to Lithuania Wait, you were week. together for how long? A week. A week? Yeah. There's, like I said, there's more to the story than that. Um... But it's more entertaining this way. Uh, question number two, what is on your Mount Rushmore? <laughs> this is a whiplashing conversation. <laughs> What's on your what, uh, Mount Rushmore of candy bars? <laughs> um, this just, one's easier for me than... Uh, only because you've thought about it deeply <laughs> for a long time. Well, because... Reese's are not candy bars. Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups is, not, is, is, is there. Is there. Yeah, they're not candy bars. Yeah, Reese's peanut butter they're, cups they're is definitely on the list. Um, hundred grand bars are on the list. That's a candy bar. Milky Way That's is on bar. the list. And I'm thinking of just going totally off the board. Uh, totally off the board for the fourth one. Um, let me think about the fourth one and see if I can get really eclectic. I'll let you go next well, time. Uh, I, I'm going with Reese's as well. I'm going with this. Not a candy bar. A standard, we've already established that. It's not a candy bar. Uh, I'm going with the classic Hershey's chocolate bar. I'm going with a whatchamacallit. I remember that. Yeah, and that was good. I'm going with a caramello. Caramellos are good, but I kind of went there with Milky Way a little bit. Mm-hmm. But caramellos is a good call. So I am going to go off the board, but it's a it's a variant of one you chose. I don't know if they still sell these, but I used to get them all the time. There, there used to be a, a, a brand of Hershey's called Symphony Candy Bars. Yeah, okay. and there was a and, and, oh and, yeah, her, and there was a Hershey's Symphony with toffee chips, and it was insanely good. So I'm going to put that on my list. Is that okay? I'm fine with it. Right. I mean, it's yours. Okay, your you're, looking, you're, you're, the, you're looking at me the way Cory Booker was looking no, at Beto O'Rourke last no, no, night. No, no, right. no. Aaron, what are your choices? Um, mine would be Butterfinger. I, love uh, Butterfinger. I hate what it does to my teeth. Uh, well, that's all candy bars for me anyway. Um, uh, Butterfinger, Snickers, uh, Payday, and then I'm trying Mr. Good Bar. Those, are, those last Mr. three are good. I, good they all have something in common there. You like nuts with your chocolate, right? It's, it's yeah. true. I do, uh, I do like nuts. Uh, final question. What's the most frightened by an animal you've ever been? <laughs> frightened by an animal. And make sure that this story you you takes said, up. You said that so deadpan. Um, in the next, yeah, take at least five minutes to tell each of these stories, please. I totally missed the question. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm in the sixth grade, but the that you just... Yeah, you are. I just, I knew you weren't going to let it go. Heck, I tried. I tried, but he let it linger, and then he said it so deadpan. Well, I did that for you. I know what you're laughing at. <laughs> And so that's, does, the, uh, that's the best since that guy walked out of the people's court. You ever seen that clip? No. When that guy walked out of the people's court after winning his judgment and dropped the D's nuts. You ever seen that? Because <laughs> so, you showed me. <laughs> if, I'm telling you, if you don't find that funny, you just don't have a, you don't have a soul. What was your question again? I'm sorry. Uh, boy, the most what is, what is the most frightened animal. you've ever been of an animal? Oh, boy. Um, a real animal. A real animal. Yeah. What's the most I've frightened? Got one. Okay, go ahead. 
it I don't have like a wildlife experience, but I was at the Omaha Zoo, which I believe we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah, I love the Omaha Zoo. Yeah. Uh and we were in the bear exhibit. Right by the glass. Uh and there's a uh grizzly uh no, not the bear exhibit, the gorilla exhibit. It's the gorilla exhibit. Harambe? There there is Harambe. Yeah. Uh just just hanging Chilling out. like a villain. Just yeah. chilling. It's not like it's not one of those things where he's like sitting right next to the glass or anything like that. He's at least ten feet away, just hanging out, observing. And I, my wife at the time commented, maybe it was because I was wearing a bright red shirt or something. Now I don't know if it, gorillas are affected like bulls are or something like that. But I'm, I, in reaction, he kind of looked over, was looking at me. I'm not thinking, sizing me up. And like that, sprinted into the glass, left the air, oh, man. and jumped with his shoulder right into the glass. That freaked the hell out of me. I bet it did. Yeah. It was awesome. But That's it, a great did, story. Did some undergarments need changed? No, I'm good. I was good. But I mean, dude, that's, that's a lot of animal. I was, what's the, what's the part of the zoo where snakes are kept? What is that called? This place where snakes are kept. Yeah, yeah. it's got a word though. I, I can't remember what it's called. The snake aretum. <laughs> the snake torium. The chamber of secrets. <laughs> um, but I was in there once, and there was this little kid in there. I looked a little dorky, and he looked an awful lot like uh, uh, that Chris Pandolfo guy we work with. And he had he was just sitting there, and there was this massive snake behind the window. And he's just like totally transfixed by this snake. And he has, and like, I wa- he didn't like move for like a second or two. Okay, that didn't happen. I'm and just totally describing this. Yeah, yeah, Harry, yeah, yeah, Harry Potter. <laughs> so I didn't even, I didn't even know where you were going. And I blurted out the Chamber of Secrets. And then you <laughs> yes. started going on. Yeah, you almost tripped on my uh, line there. Yes. Um, I'm, <sighs> it's been real this whole time. I knew it. Um, scared of an animal. Um, aren't you? You, you said you're. Aren't you? You're terrified of some small. Yeah, I can't. If it's yeah, it, you know, like yeah, bugs, yeah. roaches, no, snakes. Or I don't care right? about any of that stuff. The rodents, isn't that? Yeah, what you, rodent. Anything in the rodent phylum or bees. Yeah, didn't you say like you ran on top of a chair and let your wife yeah, deal yeah, with yeah, it? Yeah, it was know, like. Th- th- thank you for reminding you, me. No, you that, said that, it all that, that story yes, again. Did I? You said that on yeah, air. That's that, right. Like like two years ago, Amy was convinced she saw a mouse in the basement, and I just was tapped out. No, can't happen. I mean, the Orkin Army. I had him there first thing next morning, man. We had nothing, and it, co- it cost me like $300 to find out. Money well spent. <laughs> so, I'd spend it again. All right? Now, I mean, I, we, we lived in Florida when I was a kid, and you'd have to take your cereal boxes. Even, you know, my mom was, you know, the Danny Tanner of housewives, man. She could clean, bro. So, you know, it wasn't for filth. But even in, in that climate, you'd have to take your cereal boxes and pour your cereal into airtight Tupperware because you'd open a box, and there'd be a roach in there, you know? I just saw, and, and walk into school, you'd see snakes. You know, I just saw so much of that stuff growing up um, that it doesn't really bother me. But um, yeah, if there's anything from the rodent phylum, I'm on the loose. I'm, I'm totally tapped out on that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why either. Had, it's weird. We, 
I don't yeah. know. I, I've not had like a, a traumatic experience where it'd be cornered me in a locker room once with a rat or anything like that. Just something about the way they move. It's like Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. It, it, the scurrying just, I don't know. My nervous system doesn't, doesn't well, like it. Something about the way, yeah, actually, something about the way birds move, especially their heads. I, I cannot stand most birds. I just, they freak me the heck out. Um, and that's my, that, that's actually, when I was like, I don't know, seven or eight, one of the roosters started chasing me around the yard and scratched my back in a bad way. And uh, that's probably the most terrifying experience. I've grown up around a bunch of a bunch of animals, bulls. I've been around a lot of bulls, cows. Sure, um, I mean you're a homeschool kid. You milked bulls. Um, no, I didn't. I never milked them. Okay. No, no, I never milked those cows. Milking a bull would be weird. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. Trying to set me up there. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Uh, but that's that you know the that's sixth the most, grade called and wants its radio show back. I'm traumatizing sorry. Traumatizing experience that I've ever had. Uh, we've got another. You want a you want a bonus question? Yes. Yes. By all means. I'm gonna pick. It's this, gone well so far. Especially gonna, if it involves milking bulls. Go ahead. I, uh, I'm gonna pick this scab a little bit. Uh, that what, would be like my Indian what is name. A, uh, milking bull. That would yeah. be my, my Indian name. Go ahead. What is a what is a, a candy bar? Define it. No. Let's stick to three questions. Yeah. Uh, did we already have three? Yeah. yeah, we already had three. Yeah. What is, I love the persist. evasive action that both of you have taken regarding candy bars. It's like, it, why it is this a hill you want to die on? Because it, it is important. What is it's, it then? It's candy that's in the candy bar section of the I mean, store. What, yeah, that's, what is it? What is a candy bar? No, Made what by is candy it? bar what is a peanut butter cup then? It is a candy. You're saying it's closer to Skittles than a peanut butter cup? Yep. No, that's insanity. No. It's just madness. You're saying I think that, I speak for audience right now. You're saying now. that a circular cup is closer to a bar. I mean, that's I mean, that's like saying men can be women, Dodd. I, I think I speak for audience right now in saying they would prefer a discussion of milking bowls to this. <laughs> Another you know, traumatizing experience. I mean, was was actually going out and helping fix all the uh, young all the young bulls one time during yeah. the spring with my uncle Steve. That was. That was an education. Did you ever do the thing? I threatened my kids with this, actually, that the greatest argument for abstinence with your youth is take them out to a stud farm to watch horse breeding. Not scaring you straight right there, brother. In fact, I mean, if, if you're looking for some priests that truly believe in celibacy, go find people that have, go find dudes that have watched horses breed you will seriously question your own sexual fate after like witnessing something like that. like how you spent the whole first hour. This is going to be sober-minded political analysis. Listen to us. Trust us. We live in Iowa. We know what we're talking about here. I, after this half hour, I've... Maybe, maybe not. Take it. Leave it. What's a candy bar? <laughs> Apparently, because of you guys, that's a question that needs answering now. And I asked. I, I don't know any. I've never met anyone in America that didn't think that Reese's Peanut Butter Cup was a candy bar. I've never met anybody in America who thinks that a circular cup is more related to a bar than it is a candy. So, is, I, I didn't realize bar was a shape. Yeah, a bar, bar is a shape. You know, like a bar of gold. A bar is a shape. Yes. Because you, you've you've handled so many bars of gold in your lifetime, of course. You were scarred by being scratched by a chicken way more than you think. Yes, yeah, so that, that, that explains. Is, and, this, and you sent a woman away all the way to Lithuania. See, this, um, this is we've learned much. What we've learned much about our Padawan. What we're witnessing here is what we call straw men and uh, red herrings galore. I mean, you look; it's one after the other, and. Uh, 
This half hour won't end. Yeah. It just won't. We can go to Theology Thursday. This half hour brought to you by Rid You Zone, because <laughs> I think our audience would like to be rid of this segment. Um, it, it would be weird if you had a stoplight at your kitchen table as you were eating Reese's Peanut Butter Cup candy bars. Right. But uh, good thing is there is one in your system. It, it's a long word, but its abbreviation is OEA. And it's simply a signal that's supposed to go from the gut up to the brain to let everybody know we're done here. We're good to eat and we're full. Let's get active, kick that metabolism up and get on with the rest of our time. Unfortunately, for too many of us, that OEA just isn't as strong as it needs to be, particularly as we get older. And that's that's where Riduzone comes in. All Riduzone wants to do is put the OEA back in your body. Turn the bottle over. You're going to see it's not loaded with caffeine, stimulants, a bunch of chemicals. It's only got three ingredients, and they make up, uh, and rice is one of them. OEA is the overwhelmingly main ingredient of this. So it's just about putting the OEA back in your body to help you manage your appetite the way nature and your creator originally intended. If you want to give this a shot, find out to, if this has been the missing link in the battle against your bulge, uh, just go to riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, for riduzone.com. And if you use my name, Steve, as a promo code when you're there, they'll give you a special offer at riduzone.com. All right, so let's go ahead and transition to Theology Thursday. Because we clearly need God. I don't know what that was. Was that your inner fears manifesting oh, themselves I to think, the board? I think Ron was. I think Ron was. Oh, did, did Ron do that? I back was in the, really, in the really air concerned you? that uh, some, you know, gremlins were in the system. I saw you instantly turn around. Yeah, and your face was even pastier than it typically is. Yeah, I mean, you were clearly frightened. Yeah, yeah. Did the audience hear that chicken sound, or was it just us in our ear? I think the audience did as well. All right, everybody heard that. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's transition to Theology Thursday. So we've been doing this series and we are going to finish it on five smart things otherwise, or five dumb things otherwise smart people believe about faith, religion, particularly Christianity. We've gone through four of them. Uh, we're going to do the fifth and final one in our next Theology Thursday. But I decided at the last minute here today to call an audible. So last night, um, was talking to someone, a friend, a contact in the political world. And no, it wasn't about the Democratic debate. I was looking to, to change the subject from Michigan's uh, disappointing loss. Because you also don't want to be that terrible fan at the same time. Like, imagine if your kid came home and said, guys, I'm number two in my class. Yeah, you'd like him to be number one, but like, would you be disappointed by that? Should you be? I mean, not unless you're a total D-bag, right? right? So... I wanted to win really bad, and I didn't want to be that terrible fan on Twitter when it was obvious when I got to 6-1, to one, given the opponent we were against, we weren't going to win. So I thought, you know what? I just need to stop watching. And, and if, if I'll follow on social media. If we start coming back, I'll turn it back on. But this has been an amazing run. This is the furthest any Big Ten team's gotten in 53 years. Is it that long? Wow. Yeah. You're number two in the, in the, in the whole sport out of like 100 teams. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, not a, that's not a bad light. You're living, oh, you're living well, right? It's amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't want to you know, let my emotions get the better of me and ruin it. So I decided I'm going to sign off and change the subject. And I needed to catch up on some things with this person anyway. And I thought... This will stop me from delving into the mouth of madness with the Democratic debate, which is not where you go for your slump buster, okay, is the dulcet tones of, of Elizabeth Warren and, and Mary Castro on dudes should be, have access to getting abortions. That's not where you go for your pick-me-up, right? So we get to talking about what's going on, uh, you know, uh, in uh, politics in the what's left of America. And 
I, I made a, an, a cultural observation of this person. And every once in a while, I'll hear something from somebody else when I'm talking to them or they're talking to me. And little still small voice in the back of your head say, make a note of that. That's something that you should talk and bring up to a, a wider audience on your show in the near future. And when I made this observation to this person, that little light bulb went off, you know, a little mini epiphany, if you will. And, and I thought, okay, let's, you know, we'll definitely talk about this at a future time. And, and then I got up this morning and I'll show this to you here in, in, after the break. I saw a Twitter thread from a fellow uh, conservative media figure addressing this exact same theme. And then I come in here today and Aaron always gives me the rundown of the live reads we have for the show and lets me know Patriot Mobile has new copy. And Patriot Mobile's new copy, which, you know, they give us the copy. I don't write it for the client. Patriot Mobile's new copy is almost exactly what was in this other conservative media figure's Twitter feed. Almost exactly the con a, 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 an application of the premise I was discussing with this friend in political contact last night. And so when you just keep running into all those random things, that's when I sent, Aaron, I sent you a note this morning, Aaron. I said, okay, we're going to call a last-minute audible on Theology Thursday. We're going to address this. Because when, you get, when you're seeing that many, you know, understanding the signs of the times kind of thing, when, when something just keeps coming up, something clearly needs to be addressed. And, and I think we need to address it. Maybe the reason the timing is that it needs to be addressed now is because of what's going on in social media. that I think we need to understand what's happening in social media with big tech is what's been happening with big business almost comprehensively. And, and, and the reality is there's a reason why when you see conservative CEOs like on Fox, they're almost always former CEOs like Jack Welch at GE. They're almost always the guy who founded Home Depot, not the guy who's running it now. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed when you see the conservative CEOs are almost always almost always the former CEO of said company or the founder, not, not, not the person running it now. And almost, and, and, and almost unless it's someone that has a deep spiritual conviction, like the family, the greens that run Hobby Lobby, for example. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the family that runs Chick-fil-A name is escaping me. So unless it's, unless it's somebody who has a deep spiritual life and deep spiritual convictions, you're going to be hard-pressed to run into any real conservative or right-wing major corporate CEOs in America today. Was that the case when you and I were growing up? No. That's a radical change, isn't it? Yes. And I, I think it, it needs to be explained. And then I think it, it, needs, it, it requires us to have a radical response to it. Now, let's define radical. That doesn't mean Molotov cocktails. That's not what I mean. But I mean, a, a paradigm shift in the way we look at corporate America. Because it's not, it's not the corporate America you grew up with. It's a dramatically different corporate environment. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. And if you're one of those millions of Americans struggling right now uh, to get a grip on the pain in your body as a result of inflammation, this is what's called chronic pain. 
Relief might just be one click away. It's called Relief Factor. It's an outstanding product. So many people at The Blaze here have had uh, outstanding results with, and I would be the latest among them. I am a true believer, friends. I I use this uh, on a daily basis. And here's the thing that I love about it the most. It's 100% drug-free, even though it's physician-created. So it's created by people who can prescribe drugs, but they recognize, you know what, we're just... We're dealing with symptoms here. We want to help the body to naturally heal itself. Now, you know, sometimes you're sick. Sometimes you're injured, you know, and and those need different kinds and different levels of treatment. But your body was created to push back against inflammation. And that's where the uh, natural formula, the four key natural ingredients of Relief Factor come in. They are put together in order to kickstart and unleash the body's full potential in that area. If you want to give it a shot, just a dollar a day. For three weeks to try the three-week starter kit. So for 20 bucks, for three weeks, what do you have to lose for a buck a day? Except maybe, finally, and hopefully, the pain. Just go to Relief Factor, all one word, relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. All right, so this morning I saw this Twitter thread from Texas uh, radio talk show host Jesse Kelly. And I thought, you know what? This is right in line in what I was just talking to my, my friend in political contact about last night. He says, as he explained on his show earlier this week, uh, the three most dangerous words in America today are corporate social responsibility. Yesterday's commie kid uh, in college is today's senator or CEO, and they're worried about more than just making money. Today's CEO views himself as a warrior for leftism with a social responsibility to use corporate power to defeat everything leftists hate about America, including our national sovereignty. American conservatives are so worried about fighting off the media, entertainment, education hordes. They're blind to the corporate one that's about to slam into their flank and rout them. Big tech is leading the charge, but they have plenty of backup. When they write the story of, the, of, the, of America's breakup, corporate America changing from a money-making machine to the leftist tip of the spear will have a major role to play. It gives the right-leaning citizen a sense that there is no escape from the, from the lunacy. That's all. That's gold, Jerry, as, as Todd likes to say. I mean, that, that's prophetic. And what has happened is there ha- there, the, the, the demographic apocalypse that we have been warned against has occurred. But it, it wasn't Latinos. It wasn't non-whites. It was worldview. And, and what's happened now is, is the same iron-fisted grip, and I'm using that phrase and description on purpose, that we have permitted cultural Marxists to have that has led to what's occurring in our classrooms, that has led to what's occurring in, in virtually every other sector of the culture, is now occurring in the boardroom as well. There are some of you who are skeptical of this. And even the very first reply... And I rarely will look at replies because that's where, you know, sanity goes to die. But, but because I saw somebody else with a platform saying what I've been trying to point out for a long time on this show now, I was curious what reaction they were getting for going there. First reply, oh, they'll give up the, they'll give up the hippie stuff when they realize they can't make money doing it. So that reply indicates they have, they're totally ignorant of the point Jesse's trying to make. They're never going to lose money doing this. You know why? Because we turned a corner in September of 2008. And we went to the point of no return. 
And we took a giant step. You know, the traditional definition of fascism, you know, it's kind of, you know, devolved nowadays into um, you using the power of government to, to enact policies I don't like. So even, even if you abide by the constitutional process to pass a law, I don't like you're a fascist. Okay. Any form of activism I oppose is now fascism. The, the, the classic definition of fascism is an alliance of elitists in the private and public sector. And they, they realize that their interests coincide and that they then come together to dictate what the rest of the populace is allowed to have, be exposed to, believe. That's the classic definition. We crossed the Rubicon in September of 2008. Do you remember what happened? The phrase too big to fail was introduced into the American lexicon. And the idea that both political parties would come together with the sole intent on bailing out the corporate sector. Republicans gave up the canard or they gave up the notion that they ever believed in accountability. Hey, you failed. You should fail. You know, that's what happens when you fail. They gave that up. Democrats who pretended to be all to hate corporations wrote them a giant intergalactic size check. And once we went there, corporate America was sent a message. It was told it no longer has to put up with conservatives, uh, social uh, causes and culture war issues because they have a common enemy in the people that want to use government to impose its will on them. But they realized, you know what? We can just, you know, buy off government and they will buy us off back and we'll just be too big to fail. You wonder what too big to fail meant? It meant that if we allow, if we allow Lehman Brothers and Baird Stearns and these firms to go under or to break up into smaller entities, those smaller entities or the, the local or regional companies or the smaller national companies that will take their place, they don't have the wherewithal to write big, huge checks to our political coffers. So we can't let them fail. That's what too big to fail meant. And a marriage was consummated. And a premise was set that provided you are, that you are in good standing with the political system. The, the opening salvo of this is what happened to Microsoft in the 90s, where Bill Gates was essentially bullied into becoming a progressive. And, now him and, and then he married one, a true believer, shortly after that. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is now he's funding leftist causes and abortion all over the world. But this was cemented with the tarp. And we have lived unhappily ever after, ever since. I know we've joked about them pandering to the rainbow jihad, and they are, but, they're, but, but we're wrong. They are pandering, but they're not pandering to the rainbow jihad. They're pandering to themselves. And yeah, a lot of times it's, it, it's, it's, it's awkward trying to be cool when they're not cool. But these are, they're, they're, this is what they believe. And they've been taught that as long as they're in good standing with the political system, they're too big to fail. And they can take any stance they want. 
government will tell Google and YouTube that it can have exceptions. And then, then you can go up exceptions from regulatory environments. Then you can go up there and lie under oath that you're, you're a neutral platform as you go out there and begin to ban people. And let them get away with it. And so the same mindset, the same mindset that inhabits many sectors of government inhabits many boardrooms in America. Probably the most influential donors in the Republican Party in the last 20 years are the Koch brothers. They're one of the major reasons why the, the Republican Party leadership has moved left while you and the base have moved right. Because they want, they're pagans. They want the cultural rot gut. They just want it with less regulation and taxes for their business interests. But they're all in on the rainbow jihad. They're totally against defending your national sovereignty. They're all open borders. In fact, I don't know a major Republican corporate donor that's not open borders. The guy out in Vegas, who's the big Israel guy, whose name, I think he actually maybe just passed away, whose name escapes me. Open borders guy. I, I don't I don't know I, I don't I don't know a major corporate GOP donor that's not an open borders person. I don't know of one. And I've worked with and covered numerous presidential candidates who's going to these people the last few cycles. So we need to we need to we need we can't be like like the left. We we can't view the world the way we want it to be. We have to see it for what it is. And what you have to understand is that corporate America, by and large, has declared war on you. And Jesse is right. They're a major reason why they are making you think that, every, that everyone's obsessed with a rainbow flag everywhere you go. Because they are. Have you watched the, if you really want to know where corporate America is at or who they think America is or what they want it to be, go back and look at the last few years of Super Bowl ads. That's the biggest expenditure corporate America will make in terms of marketing in any given year. In the end, you are in politics, the hills you're willing to die on. You can see who they think America is or what they want it to be. I don't know, I don't know every CEO or every marketing department, so I can't tell you which is which, but it's always one of those two answers. And there was the one year that they had the backlash, and so they highlighted dads, and we, that was the year we got the Paul Harvey, you know, um, I, you know, the, you know, the the farm, the Iowa farmer ad. If you go back four out of the last five years, it, they've literally looked like triumph of the will type of videos at the Democratic National Convention, because that's who they are, and they're not worried about losing money, because they're all too big to fail now. What are you going to do? Not buy a car. All right, we found you a conservative mobile phone company. Who's your conservative car maker? Who's your, who's your conservative um, uh, public utility? Right? Who's your conservative computer maker? And when we had those things, look what happens to them. Right. Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, this is, this is, That's where I was going to go next. See, this is why there's, this is the, this is why there's the continued obsession with Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. They're the dissenters. It's not the gay issue. That was the cover. Chick-fil-A has largely stopped funding any of Christian political causes. I can tell you that for a fact. 
They've tried to get out of this spear because they're tired of being protested. They've made accommodations. Why are they still being targeted? Because they're the dissenters. They're the people, they're, the, they're one of the few remaining holdouts. Because here's, have you not learned about leftist progressives that neutrality is not an option? You are either actively participating in their causes or you're the enemy. You're not allowed conscience. You're not allowed to be a conscientious objector. Hobby Lobby is still very active. Chick-fil-A is not. Chick-fil-A, is, Chick-fil-A just wants to be a conscientious objector by and large now. They won't leave them alone. Until they change their logo to a rainbow flag, they won't leave them alone. Because we can't have dissenters. Tyrants can't have dissenters. Fascists can't have dissenters. Dissent isn't an option. You either participate or you will be made to care. That's what it comes down to. Chick-fil-A, I don't know if a lot of you think they're like writing checks to your Christian conservative. They're not writing any checks to them, actually. And they haven't for several years, guys. I remember 10 years ago when we passed the, the when, 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 you, know, you know who like the biggest donor for the marriage amendment battle in Minnesota was? Target. Now Target has been boycotted by the American Family Association for the last three years because they were the first major American company to allow you to just go whatever bathroom you wanted to go to. How did that change? New leadership, that changes. Similarly, what you see in these denominations that go left too? Same thing. And so... There is a biblical precedent for what I'm describing. When you're dealing with the left America, you're not dealing with America, guys. And this is, this is where we get into our theology. One of the places Paul met the most resistance was a place called Ephesus. Why? Because when the Apostle Paul arrived, it wasn't just... The, the tip, you know, when, when Paul would arrive, two things would happen. There'd be an argument uh, between, uh, among him and his fellow Jews about whether Jesus is the Messiah, and there, there'd be an argument between Paul and the Gentiles about whether they need a Messiah, <laughs> right? This is, that's being, that's the apostolic mission. But the mission in Ephesus had a unique layer to it. Because the basis of the culture there, down to its economy, was the paganism. The paganism and the, and, and, and the market economy in Ephesus were fused, merged into one. Paul was used to dealing with places where the paganism and the politics were merged together. He was a Roman citizen, after all. He was born into it. But this was something new. The paganism and the economy were merged together. And so if Paul was successful in pointing out that that temple to Artemis over there, Diana, that's a, that, that, that has no power. This person never existed. It's a total fake God. It's a figment of your imagination. At best, it's a tradition you pass down that might have some, some good moral tales to tell, but it has no real spiritual power. If the people turned away from that, the economic system would largely collapse in the community because it was the, it was the basis of their economy. You see where I'm going with this? This is where we are now. We as Christians or as religiously observant, orthodox, orthodox religiously observant people are, in the, are used to dealing with the fusion of paganism and politics. We've been confronting that 
pretty much since Roe. That's largely when the social Christian conservative, whatever you want to call it, movement largely emerged as an answer to that. We've been dealing with that for decades. We're the second generation of activists to try to take on the fusion of paganism and governance. What's new is what is we are in effort. We're dealing with the Ephesians now. Now we have a fusion between paganism and the marketplace. And the, once, once that fusion takes place, the marketplace is not going to say, well, let's just change to Christianity now because that's where this Paul guy showed up and it's pop. No, they won't. You're going to get a lot of pushback. In fact, they're going to go on offense to get rid of you. Shout you down. Get your message gone because you're a threat on, a, on, a, on, an, on an existential level but on a carnal level at the exact same time. And that's where we are now. You need to see and understand Wall Street and the Wall Street Journal. That this isn't you're not dealing with Lee Iacocca anymore. Where if you could convince Lee Iacocca that supporting Reagan, uh, even though he was pro-life, was good for Chrysler, he'd do it. You're not no. They're activists now. They cannot be negotiated with. You're dealing with the Ephesians. The paganism and the marketplace have have been have fused together. They are one. And so you're going to have to look at that corporate environment differently than the way you're used to. And understand, they're not just in this for the bottom line. They're in this to impose their beliefs on you. And you're going to have to change the way, this nostalgic way, Gordon Gecko is gone. He's been replaced by Trotsky. Yeah, the good old days of Gordon Gecko. No doubt. You can't even trust the materialism anymore. It's gone. They're activists now. So, so back to separate but equal then, huh? Pretty much, yes. One final time before we get out of here, realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're getting in the real estate market, mentioned this earlier today, find an agent that's reliable that you can trust. Find an agent who's personable you have a rapport with. Find an agent who understands how to read data and also look for the outliers. This is an excellent referral service put together by people that aren't trying to find clients for agents but the worthy agent for the right client. If you want that to be you, just go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. We're going to stick around, tape a little overtime with our good friend, Kurt Schilling. For the rest of you, back at it again tomorrow right here at noon Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.